0: This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider. During the height of the realisation of the reality of Brexit, there was a mini panic. Politicians panicked, people panicked, and the pound panicked as market participants sold UK assets. At the time, I spoke to Philip Saunders, who is and was the co-head of Global Multi-Asset Growth at 91 in London. And I remember Philip that you were bullish of the pound, despite the fact that the pound went sub-120 against the US dollar. I think it achieved a low of something like 1.16 or 1.17 against the mighty greenback, and here we are, uh, plus 140. So that was a very good call.
1: Yes, I mean, I think that currencies tend to have have a habit of being priced pretty inefficiently. They overshoot and undershoot, which provides opportunities because you know basically for people with a sort of more contrarian mindset uh i think that uh, you know if we go back to the whole sort of brexit period you know prior to that um you know the economy had the whole thing dragged on for, for years and it meant that it was very difficult for businesses to make capital allocation decisions uh which depressed the uk growth rate and there was this general feeling that um you know brexit was a complete disaster uh, and uh, the UK would sort of, you know, would become an economic basket case, which resulted in a flight from sterling. And, you know, it, we saw it driven down to extremely low levels. Uh, and at that point, uh, the valuation of the currency, and the currency is a common stock of a country, basically, uh, was um, was ridiculous. Uh, and so, therefore, it was an asymmetric bet. And so, therefore, we, we took the view that uh, we would you know, hedge uh, exposure heavily back into the base currency when we were run- running uh, strategies that had a sterling bias, so 100% or 110% uh, hedged. And in an international context, you know, sterling was basically had lots of upside and very limited downside in our view. And as subsequently, we've seen that Brexit hasn't been a complete disaster. Actually, the pent-up demand beginning to sort of come through at the moment is uh, means that the UK's growth rate is you know, one of the highest in the developed world. And Sterling has been responding to this by, by, by rally, but it's still relatively cheap at these uh, these levels. How do you approach it
0: when it comes to the currency? Is the currency just uh, superfluous to your your core strategy? Or do you say to yourself, well, actually, because we're bullish of the pound, then we should be looking at these asset classes, and these asset classes are being influenced by the weak pound, as it was, as I said in my introduction, sub-120, and therefore should we be looking at it as a rather convoluted way of asking you how in influential is the currency to your strategy in global multi-asset growth?
1: Yeah, so it is, it is an important consideration. We treat currencies as a separate asset class because quite often you will see currency strength being associated with uh, domestic equity market or asset weakness, you know, because if a currency is being driven up to uh, less competitive levels, then that tends to basically be negative for the you know, underlying real assets. So, uh, so we've always tended to um, see currencies as a separate asset class. Um, currencies are difficult. Uh, and so therefore, you know, generally speaking, normally people, when you talk about currencies, you know, impossible to predict, and they think of you know, high frequency trading, we take a much more strategic approach. And we're only really interested if a currency has become sort of fundamentally misvalued and where the underlying fundamentals are moving in a uh, more positive or more negative Negative, uh, direction so I think that if, if you look ahead over the next decade or so uh, returns from the conventional asset classes you know look from current valuations uh, look pretty skinny Uh, And so, therefore, if you can include an additional opportunity set in the form of international currencies, uh, not just developed market currencies, but emerging market currencies, then I think there's an opportunity to augment returns. It's a different source of returns. Often they behave in a way that's uncorrelated with conventional equities and conventional bonds.
0: During the height of the Brexit panic, uh, which I referenced again in my introduction, did you see unbelievable opportunities whether it be in equities whether it be in gilts or in the currency itself you you must have had a little bit of a i mean bonanza is a rather glamorous word but you must have seen opportunities and you must have taken advantage of them i would have thought
1: yes the key point really is that in episodes of market dislocation you know that tends to create attractive entry points for assets that um, that tend to get uh, driven to extremes in either direction It's interesting that uh, UK equities have been a pretty horrific place to be. You know, so if you have UK equity bias in your portfolio, you've really suffered because basically, particularly compared to US equities, which have done phenomenally well on a relative basis, you know, UK equities have remained underperformers for five years until relatively recently. And now you're seeing particularly domestic beneficiaries, FTSE 250 mid-cap stocks uh, that have had a pretty awful time they basically sort of have been on fire recently and you know again it's it's required patience yes but sterling has actually been strengthening quietly for some time now you know the lows are way behind us now
0: okay what is your strategy at the moment you say that the mid-caps the uk mid-caps the domestically focused british united kingdom companies that apply their trade within the borders of that uh, jurisdiction are doing well are they just re re realigning themselves with the rest of the world with a post-pandemic world or are they uh, poised for greatness would you say
1: well i think that you know certainly in terms of um of earnings dynamics it's pretty strong at the moment you know, we've been through a period of pretty depressed UK growth. There's a lot of pent-up demand at the moment. Um, And it's not just COVID-related pent-up demand. It relates to businesses that have been sitting on their hands because of the extraordinary uncertainty. Would you, you know, go ahead and invest in a new plant or open new branches and so forth? Uh, So um, we think that looking ahead, the UK growth rate is going to gap up on a sustained basis. And of course, that is basically going to be pretty good for the earnings of domestically focused businesses.
0: Okay, your strategy now, it must have changed on a couple of occasions since the Brexit mini crisis. But obviously, there was your core strategy, which remains at 91. I know it does, speaking to you and your colleagues over the years. But have there been little tweaks here and there? And if so,
1: what is the latest tweak? What are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> the latest so the latest streak has been to fade the sort of cyclical exposure within our portfolios on the equity side and to add some duration back. So the fading of cyclicals. So cyclicals having underperformed, you know, value stocks and so forth, underperformed growth stocks. And that was exaggerated in particular after the COVID crisis where, you know, literally it was digital businesses, um, growth businesses and cyclical businesses were basically sort of ignored by investors. That started to really change sort of around during the autumn. And so we had basically sort of moved our portfolios equity wise in in that direction. Um, uh, we've seen extraordinary you know, an extraordinary rally in a lot of those stocks uh, that's taken many of them from being absurdly cheap to being very expensive. Uh, And so therefore, you know, we think that inflation is not the problem that, you know, people are concerned about at the moment. We've got a cyclical inflation issue, but longer term, I think inflation is going to be pretty well behaved. And if that is the case, uh, then value stocks and cyclical stocks are going to have a less powerful carrier wind uh, than than people who are concerned about inflation believe might well be the case. Uh, so we've lent against that. Uh, we've added back some growth stocks. Um, and on the fixed income side, we you know, basically didn't like bonds because valuations were terrible. But we've seen the initial phase of an adjustment. Uh, everybody's negative about bonds and we like things that everybody is negative about quite simply you know as we've been discussing in 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 the context of sterling
0: philip thank you so much for your insight philip saunders is the co-head of global multi-asset growth at 91 in london